Hey, kids. Mom needs more help inside. Hey. How many kids do you have? Three. Three? Yeah. That is a good number. Whoa, whoa. Um, let's just concentrate on this one for now. <laughs> hey, what's it like being a dad? Mr. Clams has been sleeping for two days, Daddy. Goodbye, Mr. Clams. No! All right, just slow down a little Dad, bit. Dad, stop yelling at me! I don't think that's... <gasps> oh! Okay, okay. All right, and that is why we always wear our seatbelt. And that's the birds and the bees. Proud of you, son. Run, huh? Run, it's gonna blow! No. Have I told you lately? I know, Dad. You love me. You tell me all the time. Actually, I was going to tell you I think you're beautiful inside and out. Whatever. You are disgusting. Yeah, Dad, you are disgusting. What's wrong, beautiful? Trevor broke up with me. He didn't deserve you. He didn't deserve you. One, two, three! <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for being so good to us. God has the coolest job. He can make clouds all day. Yeah, it does. But I think one of his very best jobs is when he made you. Daddy. Hey, what's it like being a dad? How much time you got? Man, I have seen that uh, 
Yeah, that's worth an applause. I have seen that five or six times, and every time it kicks my allergies off. There's just something about that film that does that to me. We have a bunch of dads in the crowd today. Happy Father's Day to all of you dads in the crowd today. Uh, some of you guys, some of you dads have sacrificed. We have Exfuge going on. We've been praying for that, many of us, throughout the week. But we have 107 students at Exfuge, which means there are a ton of dads here who have one or more of their kids away on Father's Day. So dads, thank you for the sacrifice of sending them. We have some dads I know in the crowd today. This is their first Father's Day that they're a dad for the first time. If that's you, congratulations. I mean, this is such a memorable Father's Day for you. We have some in the crowd that have been a father for four decades and some five, maybe even six decades. If that's you, congratulations to you, Dad. It never gets old, does it? It never gets old, no matter how many years have passed. It is, as you would agree, it is the highest of privileges, and it is one of the greatest challenges, isn't it? It brings laughter. It brings tears. It brings joy. It brings heartache. There's, there's something, although I don't know many of you. There's something I think would be true about you and me as well, Dad. We long to be a good dad. No matter what the track record is so far, we sit here on this Sunday, we long to be a good dad. So my hope is that in the next 20 minutes or so, I can encourage you with some biblical truth as a dad. And I'm going to be talking, this is Father's Day, I'm going to be talking directly to you dads. But I recognize there are many others here as well. Some of you are moms, and I'll talk about some parenting truths. And you as a mom, just make the connect. This is going to apply to you as a mom as well. There are some of you in the crowd that you men, or even young men, you're not dads yet. Someday you will be. And so take notes for the day that you'll be a dad as well. There are many others in the crowd that those descriptions don't fit you, but I'm going to talk some about, about the perfect father, about God the Father. And for all of us, there'll be application, there'll be takeaway. So all of you, be listening for how this speaks to you, but I'm going to talk directly to those of you that are dads today. We're in this series about spiritual giants from Scripture, and our thought process has been to take the life of a spiritual giant and not look at their successes and their best moments, which we could do that and gain, but we're go- we are looking at, not just this Sunday, but in this brief series, we're looking at their failures. And there's some encouragement, I think, in seeing these are, these are genuine spiritual giants, like great men and women of God, and yet they too had failures. And we're going to try to learn from their failures. And so today I want to look at the, the life of King David, uh, clearly, clearly one of the greatest of the spiritual giants. He lived 3,000 years ago. Many would know him as the shepherd boy who had the courage to face Goliath the giant and to slay Goliath. Many, many would know he was a great musician. Many would know he wrote a lot of the Psalms in Scripture. In fact, he wrote about half of the Psalms that are in Scripture. Many would know him as this great warrior king of Israel that would lead the battle to defeat all of their foes and bring peace to the land. And some would know that Scripture refers to him as it does to no one else as a man after God's own heart. He was clearly a spiritual giant. He's been viewed that way for 3,000 years now. And yet one of his biggest failures was failures as a dad. And we're going to learn from him today. And 2 Samuel chapters 13 to 15 covers, uh, it's, the, it's the biggest section, it's almost the only section that talks to us about how he lived out this role as a dad. And it covers about five plus years of his life. So granted, it's, this, it's a slice of his life. Maybe he did better other seasons in other settings. But in this slice of life, it's the only slice we have of him. And he had some, some big failures as a dad. In fact, there are three of them I want to bring out today. 
And, and for us dads, I want us to, to ponder these. And my hope is that, that one or more of them, God might stir within you and within me, one or more of them, and say, this is the one to lean into now. This is the one you can grow in now. This is the one to make headway in now. The first one was this. David was a better king than he was a father. David was a, actually a much better king than he was a father. There are many chapters written about his role as king, and you see this deep devotion to the role. You see this dedication to the role. You see huge sacrifice. He was all in as king, and it demanded so much of him, and he gave everything he had to that. In fact, there are leadership books written about David's leadership so he can learn how to lead well. And you look at his role as king. He did it exceedingly well, and he was all in the game. But you look at how he did as a father, and he was largely just absent. It's as simple as that. You don't see the the dedication to being the dad of his kids. You don't see the devotion. You don't see the sacrifice at all. You don't see that he was all in. You see he was largely absent. And to give him some slack on this, he had some challenges that probably no dad in this room has. He had 19 sons plus daughters. Okay, if you have enough sons, eventually the law of 50-50 catches up. And so he might have had 38 kids. Probably not a single dad in this room has 38 kids. And maybe at some point you just give up. Maybe that's what he did. With 38, I can't do it. I'll just be king. Maybe so. And so we don't have, I doubt any dad here has that problem. To complicate it further, he had six wives. And I doubt there's, now there could be, but I doubt that there's a dad here who has had six wives. And that would complicate the picture, wouldn't it? And by the way, some of the 19 sons, they were from like all six wives had some of those kids, by the way. So that would complicate it. So you probably don't have faced that problem. And then there was a further complication. I know, I know, no dad in here has. He had all six wives simultaneously. Yeah, wow. That would affect parenting a bit, wouldn't it? So, So our hill isn't quite as high to climb. But I was looking at David's example as father And I've never quite looked at it this way before, but I began to look at our Heavenly Father, and I began to try to examine if I found that our Heavenly Father was at His very best as Father versus His other roles. And I began to think and reflect and study Scripture all over again, and I I looked at God as Creator, and there is no match for Him as Creator, is there? He is the ultimate Creator. Uh, He's created this entire universe and, and so, stunning creator, I've looked at him as the ruler. He is the ultimate ruler. He actually, he has all power to rule with. He has all of that. But I would suggest in his creation, and his creating, it didn't really cost him a single sacrifice because he has infinite power, infinite creativity, and he didn't even burn up any of it to create this entire universe. There was no sacrifice for him to create this universe. And I would suggest that he only created the universe just to have a home for his sons and daughters to live in. He was fine without the universe before that. So even his creation was for the sake of his sons and daughters he would create. And, and his rulership, his ruling, his exertion of power, he has infinite power. He never drains that power. There's really no sacrifice about that. But I look at his role as father, I look at the sacrifice he's made. He has been so all in as father. He has paid the highest of price as father. And then I think about how Jesus taught all of his followers, us included, to pray. 
He didn't say, pray this way, our creator who art in heaven, did he? He said, our father who art in heaven. And I would suggest to you dads, to us dads, that God was at his very best as father. Of all of the roles, of all the work he's done, he has been at his very best as father above all else. So here's the honest question to ask each of us dads, myself included, for us to ask ourselves privately before God. Am I better at my job than I am as a father? Right now, evaluation, honest evaluation, am I better right now at my job than I am as a father? Am I I a better carpenter than I'm a father? Am I a better teacher than I'm a father? Um, Am I a better construction worker than a father or accountant than a father, refinery worker than a father? Am Am I better at that? Just, again, just you and God, me and God, do this private assessment with God's help and say, am I, am I, the truth is the truth is that I'm better at my job than I am as a father. And, and to begin reflecting upon that, I've been reflecting back upon my dad and I was very, very blessed to have a good dad. And personally, I think I had a great dad. And I was thinking about him in this lens. He was, he spent 36 years in federal law enforcement. He was a decorated officer in law enforcement. He was very, very good at what he did. And he worked uh, difficult, strenuous shift work the entire run of the 36 years. And, and, and he was very, very good at what he did. As I reflected on the 40 years that I got to know him on this planet, his dad, I, I was reflecting back. And, and unless he was working, he was always the one that took us to church. He led us there. He took us there. And, and as I was growing up, and my older brother was growing up as well, he was the one that was teaching us how to play whatever the sport of the season one he was. He was there. When we got old enough for organized teams, he was the one coaching those teams, and he coached them really well with, with humility and grace and all the right stuff. And he would come off of shifts where he hadn't slept all night, and he would roll right into some kind of practice with us. And, and I looked at my dad's life, and he was, he was a good worker. He went the extra mile at work, but he went the extra two miles as a dad thinking how I'm blessed and how that has shaped me. And so I asked myself, am I, am I a better worker than I am a father? Because I don't want to be. And I don't think you do either. I want to be more like my heavenly father than I'm like David. I want to I learn what it's like to, to lean into what it is. At, wh- however good I am at work, however good you are at work, Dad, that is passion to be yet even better as a father. There are two key questions that I've found have, have stayed the entire course of time of fatherhood for me. And I'm not sure where they came from or how they, but they evolved at some early stage with our kids. And if dads, if you cover these two, you probably can't help but be um, very engaged as a dad. First question is this, who is my son or daughter becoming? Who is my son or daughter becoming? What direction is their life going? If they continue this direction, who will they be in six months? Who will they be in a year? And you can't answer that question without really knowing your child. You have to really be with them. You have to listen to them. You have to observe them. You have to ask them questions. You can't find the answer to that. You, you can't begin to know who they're becoming unless you really know them. It calls out, if you're asking the question, it calls out this, this deep engagement with their life. And then when you see the direction that they're going, who they're becoming, then the second question is, what does he or she need of me now? What does he or she need of me right now? 
and there may be some seasons when you look at his life or look at her life, and, and they're, they're becoming who they're, they're meant to be. And what he or she most needs is encouragement and, and a pat on the back and some applause, some way to go. And there are other times that you see who she's becoming or who he's becoming, and you realize that, that somehow they've gotten off course and they need some, some uh, loving redirection, some loving encouragement and help and guidance, maybe even discipline then. Who is he or she becoming and what does he or she most need from me right now? And this is what I would yearn for me. And dads, I think when you reflect upon David and how he did it and you reflect upon God the Father, I think you would be in there with me. I I want this, this passionate resolve that no matter how good I am in the workplace, I am yet a better father. And isn't that your resolve too? Isn't that what you most yearn for? David failed in that area. He was, he was a better king than he was father. Second failure was this. David failed to discipline his children. He failed to discipline his children. In 2 Samuel 13, it describes David's oldest son, Amnon, commits this horrendous sin, and David does nothing about it. And because David does nothing about it, some time passes. Another son, Absalom, then kills the oldest one, kills Amnon, his half-brother. Because David has done nothing about that first horrendous sin. And so now Absalom kills his brother and, and then flees. And David does nothing then. There's this just total absence and total void. And I think about God the Father. I think about how he's so different as I read through Scripture, as I look at my own life and the lives of people I know. Hebrews really sums this up well in chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. It says, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. The writer of Hebrews is summarizing this up and says, this is how he treats his kids. He loves them enough to discipline them and to give them direction and, and everything. I'll pick up then in verses 10 and 11. It goes on. God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. In other words, his discipline is molding us and shaping us. This is next sentence, very important. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. Dads, make note of that. No discipline is going to be you know, enjoyable when it's happening because it is painful. If it's not painful, it's not discipline. I'm going to talk more about that in just a moment. And then it goes on, but afterward, there'll be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. That's what God does. That's what God does with his children. He always applies the appropriate discipline. Now, dads, this would be worth writing down because we need to understand this about discipline. Discipline is administering a lesser pain to avoid a much greater pain. A discipline is administering a lesser pain to avoid a much greater pain. So in other words, if you're pondering what to do and what you're going to do does not cause some level of pain, it's not discipline. By the same token, you have to be so aware that the behavior you're trying to mold and shape or the attitude you're trying to mold and shape, you need to be so aware of the pain that will eventually come if if it's not corrected if they continue in that action or in that attitude, the pain that will come to their life that would cause you to give them some lesser pain in the hopes of avoiding a much greater pain. And so if you have a child that 
is running out on a dangerous street, then you have great clarity as a dad that, that if you allow this to happen, there could be some horrendous pain. And so you choose to administer some lesser pain so in the hopes that your child will say, that, that pain I just got from dad, that was enough. I don't want to do that again. I may not even understand why he's telling me this, but I don't want to experience that pain from him again. And you as a dad, you know, you've saved your child from much greater pain. Let me give you another example. That was an action to correct. Attitudes are as important to correct. If, if your child is disrespectful to your child's mom or to you or to a brother or sister or teacher or anyone, then you as a dad need to be so aware that if that disrespect continues and becomes the character of that child's life, the pain they will experience as life goes on. You need to be so clear of that. And then find some lesser pain that will convince them they don't want to do that again. They don't want to do that again. The, the key with being a dad, and if you've been a dad for more than a few months, you know this around discipline, is knowing what the right discipline is knowing your child well enough in the season they're in, knowing what, what the appropriate lesser pain is, there's a season where time out may be the appropriate lesser pain. That may be the appropriate thing that will, will guide them and mold them to the behavior or attitude that's important. There may be a season where spanking is the appropriate lesser pain to give them as well. There may be a long, long season where withholding privileges is the pain to exert upon them, the lesser pain so they'll avoid greater pains. There may be long season, and you can really enjoy this if you come to it, where you can give them chores and more work to do. That's the pain that they experience, and you experience less of it then. But the key as a dad is, is what is that, what is the appropriate discipline right now in my child's life? Do I know my child well enough to know what this, this lesser pain would be that would maybe someday avoid the much greater pain? Proverbs thirteen twenty four says this so profoundly. And may we dads never forget this. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children, Scripture says. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Care enough to discipline them. Now, a couple of vital rules of discipline. Never discipline in anger. Never discipline in anger. If, if you've been a dad for more than a few months then you recognize there'll be seasons that your child or children will cause you to have great anger, okay? Uh, we can all confess that, and I lost track of the number of times, and I, I wouldn't even want to try to measure how intense my anger sometimes has been uh, in what's going on between uh, my children and me in times. And so, so we will experience those times where what your child or children will do will cause great anger. The key is never administer discipline, never even decide what the discipline will be in that time. Give yourself time for the anger to dissipate and then decide what to do and then administer the discipline for them. And honestly, I think with our two sons, I think some of the greatest pain they ever suffered was when they could tell they had made me angry and I said, just go to your room until I can calm down. Until I've decided what, you'll, what the discipline will be and I'll bring back and tell you. And I think that waiting time was the most painful time they ever experienced then. But I also know I should have told the first service this. I'm just winging this. Man, I'm sure there were more than two, but there were two times I will never forget that I disciplined in anger. And it was not pretty. And by God's grace, I went back to whichever son it was each time and said, I am so sorry. Please forgive me because I disciplined you in anger. Uh, not pretty. And again, if you've been a dad for some time, you probably have some memories as well of doing that. And when we do that, the 
the thing is to go to our child and say, I'm so sorry for, for the way I have done this. Never discipline in anger and always convey love when you're giving the discipline. Always convey love. God always disciplines in love. And that's the only reason you as a dad discipline is because you love your child so much. You're trying to help them avoid a greater pain down the road. And so always convey that. Always tell them that. And there's a good chance many times they won't get it. They won't hear it. There's a real good chance they won't acknowledge it or appreciate it. But somewhere the seeds will be there. I can look back upon my dad. And, and now with hindsight, I know I mean, every single time it was based upon love. It had been a lot easier not to discipline, discipline me the 42,000 times he had to. But he did it out of love. So always convey love in doing that. David's first failure, better king than father. Second failure was failure to discipline. Third failure was the failure to pursue reconciliation. The failure to pursue reconciliation. When this second son in the story, Absalom, comes along and, and kills the son who had done this horrific sin, he flees the country just to escape because he knows his dad will be so angry initially. But then his dad won't allow him back into the country for three years and Absalom could have justified what he did. The sin of Amnon was so horrific. Absalom could have come back and said, can you call, you know, br- bring a courtroom. I can justify what I did. But for three years, David wouldn't even allow him inside the country. And then when he finally allows him inside the country, he allows him to come to the very town where David lives. And so it's a town of about the size of Alvin, or the size of Friendswood. And for two years... David refuses to even see him in the very same town. Not only is there no pursuit of reconciliation, David is preventing any hope of reconciliation to occur. And so I found myself thinking about God the Father and thinking about his his passionate pursuit of reconciliation for me and for you. I think about the sacrifice he paid. His only son, it would have been easier if he had gone to the cross, but even more painfully, his only son died on a cross in the pursuit of reconciliation for me and for you. Paul would write this in in 2 Corinthians 5.19. He would say, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of of reconciliation. God the Father, the perfect Father, has this passionate pursuit of reconciliation toward every single wayward son and daughter. And that says to me as a dad, it says to you as a dad who also longs to be more like the perfect dad, because we long to be good dads, it says that when there's been a breach in the relationship, it is our job to take the first step and to passionately pursue reconciliation. As dads, it is our job to be the one that pursues reconciliation with deep passion to take the first step. And I'll give you a couple of guidelines from Scripture about this. One is this, is once the breach has occurred, pursue it now. In Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, it says, Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. In other words, someone has wronged you. In this case of what we're dealing with here, a son or daughter has wronged you or wronged somebody, and you're angry about it. And there's this rift, there's this division. It says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry before you begin to try to reconcile. Man, that's a good word for me as a dad. 
because my anger could last a good while. And, and God is saying, I want you to, to have this mind shift. You begin the pursuit of reconciliation now. Don't wait a day or a week or a month or a year or five. Begin the pursuit now. And then second, this is very important, prayerfully ponder the conditions of reconciliation. Do you understand that God has paid this highest price to pursue reconciliation? But he, he does have a condition, though, doesn't he? Jesus didn't just die for our sins and rise from the dead and we're all reconciled. There is a condition, isn't there? There's this singular condition of we have to place our faith in Jesus, right? For we're reconciled. And to place our faith in Jesus at its core means that we have to surrender leadership of our life to Jesus. And so that's God's condition of reconciliation. And in effective, appropriate reconciliation, there's always a condition or maybe more and so we look at God's example, and, and he took the core issue. And he said, if you'll meet this one core condition, then reconciliation is accomplished. The breach has been closed. And then we'll deal with the relationship. We'll grow it and develop it and all this other stuff. And so as a dad, when there's been a breach, then you have to sort out, prayerfully sort out, what is, what is the appropriate condition or conditions of reconciliation? And it may be. It may be to say there's some, there's some core rules of our home. And until one can live within these core rules, the breach can't be healed. The breach will just simply remain until you, my son, or you, my daughter, would agree to abide by these core rules of our home. Because if you're here and you continue to break these core rules, there's just this breach that will remain wide open and bleeding. And so something to that effect. And isn't that like what God has done? He said there's some, in essence, like there's some rules for my home. And, and the only chance you have to actually even begin to follow them is if you surrender your life to Jesus. And he'll begin to change you and lead you. And pretty soon you're, you're actually you know, living within this home of mine more and more in alignment with who I made you to be and what I made my home to look like. And so when there's this breach, Dad, I, what I have to do, what you have to do is Immediately begin this passionate pursuit in sorting out, prayerfully sorting out, what the appropriate conditions of reconciliation might be. I think this is true of every dad in this room. We long to be good dads, don't we? We long to be good dads. And there is only one perfect father, and, and he is the one, if we're going to have a real chance of getting better at this role of being a dad, he is the one to model our life after and he's the one that, unlike David, who was a much better king than he was father, he's the one that, of all the things he's done, of all of his roles, like his, his shining glory is that of father. And for us as dads, that's what we need to be sure that however good we are at anything else in terms of work, by far above that, it, our shining glory is, is father. And then as we follow him, we look at how he when we error, how he in deep love disciplines us for our own good. And as dads, we need to sort that out and resolve when, when a child is, has erred to prayerfully sort out the, the appropriate way to discipline and discipline in love. And then as good dads, when a breach occurs, and they do and they will occur, as a good dad, we look at God the Father and we see his 
passionate pursuit of reconciliation, willing to pay the highest price and set the right conditions for that reconciliation. And dads, that's our role to play as well. We long to be good dads. And our best shot at this is to try to become more and more like God the Father, the one perfect Father. Father in heaven, I pray uh, for us dads here in this room. Thank you for the privilege you've given us. Thank you so much. We, we need you. We need a clear picture of how you do your role as father so we can model after you, Father. May, may the things we've talked about today, may they leverage in our hearts and minds. We talked about three things, Father. Maybe within a dad's heart and mind and circumstances, maybe there's one that you want that dad to put attention to now. And my prayer is that dad would look to you and lean to you and reach to you and, and yearn to have your help in growing in that area. I yearn in my life that you, you show me the one, the one area now, and that you help me become more like you in that area. Father, you are you're the one, one perfect father. And so I lift up this prayer with, with thanks and with hope for us as dads and great anticipation in Jesus' name, amen.